As we continue our session on our, our ser- um, series, I'll get the word, on Ephesians, um, we come to the section where uh, Paul calls us from darkness to light, which I think is very appropriate for this season. Um, so I'll just, I'll read the, the passage and then we'll look at it, so... Let's read it. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 21. Let there be no more sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey them. him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before we start, let's pray. Lord Jesus, please shine your light on this passage. Set it deep in our hearts. Amen. Now, I have a story about my own powerful experience with light and darkness. You've probably heard part of this story before. It's such a, such a potent memory for me that it links to so many ideas. Um, so... You've probably heard it. It's the story of my, of one of my first hikes in Japan. I ended up hiking 
in the snow-covered mountains after dark with just a cheap torch to light my path. I started off from home too late and by the time I got to the top of the ridge I would be walking along, this is what I could see. You can't see the sun in this photo because it's already gone down off to the left of Mount Fuji there. From here I walked along a snowy ridge road lit only by my torch. Near the end of the road I would have been able to see this if it was daytime and the air was clear, but since it was dark I didn't see a thing except a few metres in front of my torch. But I walked a bit further, 100 metres on, and all I could see was this. Notice how dark the foreground is. That's where I was in the foreground. I wasn't down there with all those lights. Darkness, thick, black darkness. And my tiny torch could only light a few steps ahead of me. I could see so little that at one point I took a wrong turn and ended up in a village trying to read Japanese. I'd only been in Japan for a few months. I was only just starting to learn Japanese and wondering whether people would let me sleep the night in their living room. (laughs) I was seriously wondering if that was an option because I wasn't going to try and survive in the snow. This is actually a more recent version of the sign I was trying to read. Exactly, and it's completely opaque and it doesn't help that these symbols, which are hard to read on the, on the projector, are all Japanese, so they're all like squiggles, basically. Where the is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very helpful. <laughs> the, um, I love Google Street View because you can find these things. I didn't have a photo of this because, well, because it was dark, so... wouldn't have been a very interesting photo. I did eventually figure out where I'd gone wrong and got back on track. And, uh, of course, being in the dark didn't mean that... meant that I didn't realise how steep and scary the slope that I hiked down was. See that zigzag there? That's what I hiked down. (laughs) So I, I still have vivid memories of that descent, even though it was dark. It was very memorable. <laughs> After I returned, ha- returned home safely, if a bit shell-shocked, I was thoroughly persuaded of the need to hike in the light. It's one thing to walk around your apartment or your house in the dark and quite another to be lost in the steep, snowy mountains of Japan in the dark, especially if no one knows you're there. And I hadn't told anyone I was going. So, <laughs> I'm glad my mum didn't know about this <coughs> until later. It's important to think about darkness and light like this, I think. When the Bible was written, its authors and readers didn't have electric lighting. It seems to go without saying, but, but we take our lighting so much for granted that it's hard to appreciate the dangers of darkness. But let me ask you, if you were in the midst of darkness, completely unaware of your surroundings, and you had a light, would you shine that light? Would you turn on your torch or light your candle? 
Yeah, you would, right? That's a no-brainer. Darkness leads to stumbling and falling and getting lost and getting hurt. Light leads us home. And the brighter the light, the better, right? Mm. Yet how often do we forget the scariness of the moral darkness around us? How often do we forget how, how penetrating and liberating is the light that lives within us? What else but forgetfulness and ignorance can excuse the way that we indulge in obscene stories or foolish talk or, and coarse jokes? We feel no horror of these because we've forgotten how dark they are. But when we turn to the light of Christ in his word, the Bible, that's when we discover how comfortable we've become in the shadows because it says things like this. It's so easy to let the darkness creep over us until we don't see sexual immorality as a problem. We join the chorus, so long as it's between consenting adults, then no one gets hurt. But we forget the light that God shines on this that reveals that people always get hurt from sexual immorality. The same with greed. You deserve it, we chorus with L'Oreal. I think it's L'Oreal that says that. You're worth it. Yeah. Oh, you're worth it, yeah. And every other consumer products company under the sun. Me Bank appeals to us because, well, it's all about me, right? That's who it should be about. But this is hardly a new problem. Greco-Roman culture, the Greco-Roman culture of Ephesus, was obsessed with sex, as ours is. In fact, when we went to, um, um, to Naples, uh, there's a museum there that has the artefacts taken from Pompeii. And when we visited, they had a special exhibition of all the erotica from Pompeii. So, which was quite a well-stocked exhibition because there's a lot of it. <laughs> so Ephesus was, was as obsessed with sex as ours is and as greedy and as filthy as our culture too. And yet the Christians of Ephesus weren't called to abandon their culture, to, to go and live somewhere else, to isolate themselves. They were called to something much harder And so are we. Paul says, Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Our call is clear, to be light in the midst of darkness. The pressure we we feel to share in the works of darkness, that's real, but we don't need to give in. And as we each live as people of light, our light will catch on with one another 
We'll keep each other safe from falling off a cliff in the dark or getting lost in the night snow. Paul encourages us with the knowledge that our light does catch on with others. We're not just exposing dark deeds. We're chasing darkness away. We're protecting one another from the pandemic of darkness. Isn't it strange that we protect one another from COVID-19 by isolating ourselves from one another? But the far more deadly pandemic of sin, of wickedness and darkness, can only be defeated by gathering together and lighting one another up. So how do we live as light? How does that actually work? What does it look like? Well, we live carefully. There are really three key attitudes that Paul talks about in verses 15 to 21. And the first one I would summarise as thoughtfulness. Christians as children of light should be considered in the way that we live. We, we don't stumble about doing whatever we feel like at the time, indulging in our own laziness or lust, careless of others' needs or desires. Instead, we think about life. We think about how to behave. We think about how to live. These are evil days. So, like a soldier scarcely a soldier carefully scouting enemy territory, we think about how to achieve our strategic goals. We proceed with care and thought. Now, you may not have heard many sermons advocating a thoughtful life, but that's precisely what Paul's advising here. We need to use our time wisely. We need to trust God And get going, as we said last week. Not sit around and let the world take control. The second attitude is joyful community. Hymns and psalms are theology in song. We sing them together, not merely to worship God, but to train our hearts and minds. And singing together is crucial to encouraging one another. Of course, we also take song away into our private spaces. So we we make music to the Lord in our hearts. And we can be filled with joy all the time because we know that light always overcomes darkness. There's no doubt about that. The third attitude is one of grateful fear. It's hard to understand exactly how our relationship with God should work because God is sui generis, one of a kind. But the Bible speaks of uh, the fear that we should have of God. When, When you think about the fact that God upholds the entire universe by his will, every atom's existence, every gravitational pull, every molecular bond, they're all sustained by God's will. 
And on top of that, our existence as souls, as thinking, living, individual beings, that also is completely dependent on God. Fear is an appropriate response. If God doesn't continue to uphold the universe and us as individuals, then we just wink out. But at the same time, God is so good and so faithful that we can completely rest in his presence. We don't need to worry that God's suddenly going to forget about us and we're going to cease to exist. This strange combination of assurance and fear is like God, unique. We don't have that relationship with anyone else, with anything else. And it affects how we treat one another. That's what it's talking about when it says that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But that submit to one another out of reverence for Christ introduces the next section of Ephesians and that's a topic we're going to get to after Christmas. It's a juicy one and you might find it controversial. So let's not get into that yet. What can we take away from what we've looked at so far today? I think the key image is the contrast between a person of the dark and a person of the light. A person of the dark, someone who rejects Christ, is like a drunken fool stumbling around in their vomit, swearing and cursing and doing other unmentionable things to themselves and anyone they bang into. It may be hard to see many of the non-Christian friends that you have in that light because it is a pretty negative sort of portrayal. But I think if you dig deep enough, sadly, that's what you find. We, as human beings... We're all like that. Without the light of Christ, all we can do is hurt ourselves and hurt others, ultimately. We can put a veneer of politeness and, and niceness on top of it, but it's a veneer. A person of light, on the other hand, they're someone who's mindfully walking through life, gratefully taking every opportunity to serve and benefit others. They demonstrate their love by their thoughtful attention to everyone they encounter, gently helping them and lifting them up. And of course, such a person is filled with joy. How could they not be when, when their life is so productive and, and rewarding? Doesn't that sound like Christmas spirit? Now, if you don't match that second definition, don't be discouraged, neither do I. Uh, but remember that sanctification, the process of becoming holy, becoming like that image of a child of light, it's a lifelong, gradual process that we need to support one another in. But that's what we have to look forward to. That's that's our destination, that's our goal, that's what we will become. And I don't know about you, but for one, I really look forward to being such a person, even if it means having to leave my self-indulgence behind. And I 
I do have to pray that God would work on my heart and, and my mind to mould me into that sort of a person because I can't do it on my own. I can't leave my self-indulgence behind by myself. I don't have the strength in myself. Let's encourage one another to all work to be a child of light over this Christmas season and through the coming year. Especially especially in the midst of the tensions and frustrations that do come with Christmas. When all the families together and all the conflicts that come with that. This is an opportunity for us to grow, to be children of light. So let's pray. Lord, you have given us new hearts. Please give us the strength and love to nurture these loving hearts, to grow, to shine more and more brightly. Help us to light one another up so that the darkness in our neighbourhood is pushed further and further back. In Jesus' name. Amen.